Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Welcome to the Zane Lowe interview series. I'm Eddie Francis from Zane Lowe Show on Apple Music One. While Zane is still out, I'm bringing you another conversation, this time one he's had with Anthony Kiedis. It's safe to say the Red Hot Chili Peppers are icon status. 40 years deep in the game, the band's 12th studio album, Unlimited Love, plays tribute to the veteran outfit's chemistry and affection for one another. Zane went to see him in Malibu, comfortable territory above the waves he's used to riding. This is that conversation. I love that we're here. I feel we've we've been all over the world over the years. You know, I think we've talked in Portugal, we've talked in New Zealand, we've talked in London, obviously, and now we're at a place that's kind of not just your home, not where you were born, but where you made a home, but also I feel your spiritual home. You've, you've been drawn to nature throughout your entire adult life and you've settled here. And I bet you probably would rather be down there about 100 meters offshore right now. Well, there are waves today. There are waves today. And it's been a very stingy winter mm-hmm. for the Los Angeles basin. Hawaii's been on fire. Yeah. Northern California's been on fire. And by fire, I mean lots of waves. Yeah. But... If I had my druthers, I would be about 100 yards offshore right there. I can see one of my favorite little lefts popping. What does it feel like when you're on it for you? I mean, I, I know that there's like the holistic experience and description of riding waves and why people are so drawn to it and everything else in life tends to take a backseat once you discover it. But specifically for you, who's mm. someone who I think likes to follow your internal compass, what do you get from being on a break in that moment? Well, everything. Just just by doing it, just by dunking yourself in ice-cold salt water, you've done something right. Mm. And left to my own devices, I'll do something wrong repeatedly. And I'm like, you know, if, if I do get in the ocean, that'll be the right thing to do. And it always is, you know, just paddling out, no matter what, is a, is a cleanse. It's like the the weird bath that washes all of the the grime and the the psychic soot off of yourself for a moment. And then it's kind of good exercise, which doesn't hurt. Mm. But it's kind of like dancing because the minute you fall from the top of the wave to the bottom of the wave, there is a sense of weightlessness and movement and flying and ocean all at once. A little bit of seaweed. And you have to be present. Yeah, you're always present. There's there's no phone, there's no computer, there's no electronics of any kind, there's no car keys. It's it's the, the last bastion of personal escape for me. It's also a big reason why people come here, you know? They're drawn to the coast. Um, when we moved from London at that point in our lives, getting somewhere back towards what I knew growing up in Auckland. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed immediately was actually how you can build a life in Los Angeles, despite what people tell you. If they say to you, you know, it's transient environment, too much ambition, too much this, too much that, but it's actually a great place to raise a family, I found, mm-hmm. in my life, you know? You've lived all those parts <laughs> of your life. Yeah, well, I, I can, it can be transient, it can be overly ambitious, it, it can be daunting, it, it can be like everyone comes out here with, not everyone, but many people come out here with their little dreams and half-baked schemes and you know, shoot for the stars, and it's hard for everyone to accomplish that, and it's really overrated to begin with. Yeah. Like, just coming is good. Like, coming and failing is fine. Yeah. Or coming and finding something else is fine. Yeah. Um, it's true. But I, I like your approach. You know, you, 
you went from tiny London in the Pacific to real London and, mm-hmm. and then to the West Coast. Tiny oh. London, that's brilliant. It's true. It always felt like tiny England out there to it's me. True. Um, it's true. Like a quieter, gentler, more reasonable England, especially in the 90s when I was hanging out there. It, was, it hadn't really become corporate yet. Well, it's also, you know, we are by, by nature of the contract signed, for better or for worse, worse, a member of the Commonwealth, you know mm. what I mean? And so there is that kind of influence that permeates through New Zealand and, uh, and much as we strive for our own identity, they, they ain't letting us go in a hurry. And so there is that. Yeah, well, there's that. And then there's the Wild West aspect of New Zealand where yeah. you, you get just outside of town and there's a lot less yeah. law and order, yeah. for better and worse, yeah. probably a lot for better, you know, not living under that kind of oppressive vibration but it's true i remember being in the the boondocks of new zealand and be like you're kind of on your own out here yeah like there's no phone numbers to call or which blew our minds blew our minds when me and my friend met you there in whatever it was 95 96 Mm -hmm. we just couldn't get our head around it we were like this guy's in the biggest rock band on the planet the most recognizable person because Let's be honest, I mean, just by the nature of your style and your charisma and who you are, you walk down the street, people know who you are. Maybe in the 90s. (laughs) Still still the case. You ain't crouching at the bar, Anthony. You never have. And so, you know, for us to to, to see you there and for you to to want that boondock life, that, like, isolation, and I, I get it now. I understand in a way, knowing the story, that, you know, you were sort of trying to process, right? Yeah, I blame the seduction of your island. You know, it was... It was so natural and green and time had forgotten it just a little bit. So it did feel super inviting the very second that I set foot. But the world is is full of that. And it was nice that we were able to cross paths at that point in time. Mm. um, Because I have certainly enjoyed kind of loosely following your trajectory. (laughs) And and now knowing that we both have teenage boys yeah. that are uh, off doing dangerous things on yeah. country roads and city streets, yeah. it's uh, it's nice to reconnect at this point down the line. It's a blessing. I do not take it for granted. You know, the super fan who was given a copy of Mother's Milk as a kid and just freaked the f*** out and then followed you all the way through. For me to be sitting here now having a conversation with you um, at this moment in my life is, uh, is just feels like a blessing. I feel the same. You know, and uh, what's even more of a blessing, I think, for everyone, because that's personal reflection, is going to be this album, man. Mm. 17 songs. And like I said, the most complete picture, I think, of all of those sort of ideas and restless creative energy you had as, as a band coming up, realized, like, okay, here's my most thoughtful, like, you know, acoustic moment. Here's my most honest, open reflection on self. Here's my band rocking at, like, wizard sleeves level. Back to Chad Smith and his wizard sleeves. Let's, yeah. not, let's not forget John and Flea and the chemistry that's so well established, but the guitar playing on this album, man, is out of control. It's quite tasty. And it's not just playing, it's, it's guitar writing and, you know. Emoting too. Some of the solos emoting. aren't even notes. They're just cries yeah. for help or cries <laughs> out of anger. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, you know, uh, one more time, for whatever reason, the universe saw it fit to 
interject this band with another giant shot of plasma, mm. you know, which has happened so many times and, and never intentionally and usually tragically and fortuitously at the same time. Yeah. People quitting, people dying, people returning, new people showing up, you know, beautiful people. But left our own devices, you know, we probably would have withered on the vine somewhere along the line, as we all do at some point. And all will. And all will. But it wasn't quite time for us to do that yet. And um, and John psychically reached out to both Flea and I because we heard it at the same time and had that conversation where like, I have to talk to you. No, I have to talk to you. No, can I speak first? You can speak just as soon as I tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> and we were both thinking... This... I want to put the band back together. No, I want to put the band back yes. together. No, I want to put... <laughs> and then we're like, what? You too? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, John had all of this uh, energy and emotive notions stored up inside of him. Um, and it's so clear when, when he writes and when he plays. And it's really fun to listen to because it's just, it's like you said, it's not just notes. It's like just sound and emotion and color. And, and it's a bit effortless for him in a way because he's not worried about it. He's not trying to play the right notes. He's just trying to play the notes that are truly him. Mm -hmm. And we covered some bases, but it was all by accident. It was not by design. We didn't have that analytical conversation of let's play one of these, let's play one of those. Let's just play and we'll start gathering and then we'll build and write and write and write and write and maybe we'll keep all of it, maybe we'll keep some of it. And the, the process that it had to go through to become this record was very democratic in the sense of we all voted, including Rick Rubin, and we all had to accept defeat, like, oh, my favorite song's not going to make it on the record, and it's like, well... Did it happen to you? One of them? I mean, I'm an absolute bastard when it comes to that stuff, because... we so dem democracy has a caveat no, when it comes it to... No, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't. I, I did lose. Right. I did lose, and I didn't get my way, and, mm. you know, I did think that I knew best, and Flea thought he knew best, and so on down the line but mm. we all had to compromise and so we ended up with these 17 but in in your view it was a worthy 17 so yeah you know no it, i don't see I, I yeah i i think start to finish it's crazy i was describing this to someone to my, actually my son my 15 year old son I was driving him to school this morning and he said what's it feel like listening to the chili peppers now mm. as in at this point in your life right the first time you put the record on something crazy happens where it's not just music, it's like it attaches itself to your DNA and your memories and your experiences and all these things that you've been there for and you're taken somewhere else completely. And it happens with a few artists you really live with throughout your life. It's not just about a new album, it's like a you're sort of thrown into the Battlestar Galactica River, like right? And that familiarity is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And then you start to recognize what's different. And what's different for me is just, I feel like, your writing and lyrics to start with, if we can talk about that, you found this way to merge both of the sides of your writing for me in a really beautiful way. There's the abstract strokes and the ways that you just pull observations in to paint a new picture. And then there's some of the most clear and defined statements of intent on this record as well. Not the one being mm -hmm. one of those. Mm. Well, I love all varieties of lyric writing. Um, Abstract being one of my favorite because so much has already been said in mm. songs along the way. Mm. 
that I like to find some, some new way of adding to a song lyrically that isn't predictable or already been done many, many times. And then I had the, the challenge of being way behind schedule, which that's always the situation. This band will write 20 songs and I'll be like, I'll get to those lyrics post-haste. But now I've got 20 songs to add to. And then it was 20 more and then it was more. And I had a unique situation in so much as I did not have the luxury of editing or censoring. Whatever came, I had to make use of it because there was too much waiting for me to get to. And usually I'll be like, hmm, maybe, maybe not. But in this case, I was like, if it came to me, it's in the song. So you, fe you felt late. You felt a little late. I always feel late, but yeah. this was later than ever just because of the amount of mm -hmm. songs that were being born. So I really made that choice not to censor or edit or care. I didn't care. If, if it came to me, eh, let's go in, in the song. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to think twice about it. And sometimes that really That's works painting. out. That's painting. That's painting. <laughs> like, it is. I mean, you put a wrong stroke somewhere, you got to find a way to make it work. I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. And there's always a way to make it work because it's just a song. Like, you can, you can put a little uh, pine tar on it and make a curveball out of it in some way. So when you're sitting down and you're listening to the musical arrangement of what became Not The One, mm. which is a beautiful and delicate and emotional arrangement, um, can you paint the picture for us as to what was where you were or what was going through your mind? Because to me, at least listening to it a few times, it has a real search for identity in it, like a real mature sense of self-awareness, <laughs> you know? Um, so that song... You're laughing, is that fair? No, it's fair. It's fair, I just I don't necessarily like talking about it. I know, that's unfortunately my job. So arrangementally, Flea had put together a drum machine and bass song in his cobweb-covered garage. And it was not what you hear today for Not The One because the, the bridge was the verse and the chorus was the bridge and it was completely inverted. And every day after band practice, I ride home and I listen to what we've done that day over and over and over and over, hoping that it, something comes, that yeah. it sparks something or mm -hmm. that, I, that I hear the right melody or something, anything. And in that case, I started hearing that entire song on the way home, but completely inverted from the way he had arranged it. And you know, it, when, you, when you start something, you get a little bit married to it. So I came in the next day and I said, Flea, I, I know this is not what you had in mind, but is it all right if I sing the verse over the chorus and the chorus over the bridge? And he's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You sound surprised by that. No, I was. Really? Yeah, because he wrote a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I thought maybe he wanted to keep it as it was written. I'm just surprised because after 40 odd years, I would have thought you guys had gotten into a space where it's like that malleability was okay. Comes and goes. Right. Comes and goes. And on this particular day, he was so supportive and that was super helpful. And um, I think I was, I was going through a very lonely and introspective month or two. And so this, this, this idea came out about, you know, we, I think I know who you are, but, but maybe I don't. You think you know who I am, but maybe you don't. And, and especially in intimate relationships, yeah. like, you know, we all present something and people always have an idea, but, well, you know, what would happen if, if we just showed each other our very worst 
from the very start. Yeah. Like, not trying to impress each other or just like, you know, I'm kind of a f up and here's my, my weak suit and my, my flaws. And, and then we would never have to discover that down the line and go, what? Has that been hard for you, being who you are as a human and the way that you're, you're made and growing, but also who you became because you have an identity you're trying to find that's yours. You also have an identity that we're trying to get, that we love, that we want to give back to you at all times, you know? You're Anthony Kiedis. Da, 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 da. Has it been hard? Uh, I can't complain. I mean, I don't, I don't feel tortured by that. Sure. Um, I think I know who I am. I think I know who people see me as, and I'm okay with either. It, it's not a, a dilemma for me. But it's always work in progress. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love feeling a little more resolved with all of that as the days go by mm. and um, mm. a little less in conflict with the world around me, which suits my survival. But that idea of loneliness is a strange thing when you're surrounded by attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, loneliness is, a, is also a valuable emotion. I agree. You know, it's, it's definitely... Like you said, you know, you can be in the middle of the large crowd and be 100% lonely. But like sadness and, and all these other lesser appreciated emotions, I, I find a lot of value in them. And, you know, it works for the songwriter for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I was just numb to all that or, you know, too good natured, I, I wouldn't have as much to say. Mm -hmm. But I am also an eternal optimist consecutively with the loneliness and, and all that, so. Flea described you in an interview I watched, again, thank you, internet, um, as a survivor. Right, I think I remember that. Yeah. Aren't we all? I mean, it's- Yeah, we're here, I guess so. <laughs> By our very nature, we have to be, right? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think in that particular case, he was obviously referring to some traumatic situations which you'd come through the other side of, and other people who are born with the same opportunities to live and breathe and make mm. a life for themselves don't. Yeah. Well, Flea is also a survivor. So maybe he was just reflecting that back. Um, mm. he, he has told me on occasion, like, if you're on an airplane that crashes in the Pacific, okay. they, they'll find you floating on a piece of wing somewhere. Um, but, you know, he and I grew up in a world where we... They, we did not have totally present parents and guides, you know, kind of like we're trying to do for our kids now. Mm. Flip that script a little bit. So he and I really did have to survive um, on a day-to-day -day basis, which is a wonderful thing in hindsight because it brought us together and it re really gave us a, a vibrancy towards life that was hugely important to being little punk rockers that started a band. Yeah. Really, like, it was, that was the, the crux of everything, was just, you know, how do we eat today? Yeah. Where are we going to sleep tonight? You know, how come there's no door on our apartment? Um, you know, it really makes you bond for life. But it's, it's nice of him to think of me as a survivor and to recognize things about his bandmates and... Oh, I love that you recognize the same in him, and yet it's what's really fascinating about this kind of like lifelong friendship, which is at the center of all things Chili Peppers. Mm. I mean, if that stops, it's done. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, and I think you could say the same about Chad now. I mean, you can't go on without Chad, in my opinion, as a fan. Maybe you uh, could, but you two, uh, maybe you could. No. You couldn't. No, I don't, I don't even want to think about but that. But you two, and here's the crazy thing is I just feel like over time, you've learned to accept your differences as being, as just being greatness. Like that's, that's, we don't have to be bonded in everywhere. We don't have to agree on everything. The things that can break up bands, I mean, you seem to have actually celebrated. On a good day. Mm. On a good day. We still have all kinds of days where we look at each other like, what is wrong with you? I don't know you at all. Yeah. We're just like, how could you say that? But John said the smartest thing to me ever uh, a year ago, which just completely floored me. And I can't say that we all adhere to it. I can't even say that John adheres to it, but he's aware of it. So on a good day, someone in the band was just bugging the shit out of me, driving me crazy. And John said to me, you know, it's those very things that bug the shit out of you that makes that person as amazing as they are. That's why they're amazing, because they have these flaws that make them crazy, and that, that's why you love them, because it's part of the, the whole picture. He said it more eloquently, but I got the idea. I was like, hmm. It is those very things that drive me crazy that make that person work the extra eight hours doing what they love to do. Mm. It makes them great. And then I thought, eh, the same is true about John, the same is true about Flea, and the mm. same is true about Chad, and probably, you know, myself for them. So, yeah, we, we do accept each other, and we do love each other, and there is a, an endless friendship going on there which is not to say that we want to hang out every day, mm. but it never dies, you know, and it's nice to go away from it and come back to it, go away from it, come back to it. But I admire them all. Mm. Um, and now that John gave me that little touchstone of like, every time someone's like annoying you, remember that's part of why you're attracted to them and what makes them them. It just does seem that John comes into your lives on a on a creative level at these moments, you know? It's like third time. I know. Yes. And and I think about the first time when we were all just like decimated by the news. We were we all just finally found our band and then it's like, oh, you know the guy who makes all that magic happen with that guitar? Like he's not in the band anymore. It's mm. like, what the mm -hmm. what what does this mean? And um again, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, there was stuff going on there, I guess that made that reality just untenable for him. The second time around seemed like more of a holistic decision, or at least it seemed that way. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was more of a mature, an ability to be able to just have a little more altitude and see, rather than it just, I gotta go. It's like, no. It, yeah. So he came into the band in uh, late 88, um, following the death of Hillel, which was already a hugely emotional loss, transition, discovery, who are we? And within three years, we'd put out Blood Sugar and been on tour. So he's, you know, hyper-intelligent, hyper-sensitive, hyper-cosmically attuned, you know, to a very extreme degree, which makes him who he is. And, and that was too much. Like, Money and fame and attention and adulation and responsibility are not 
for everyone and can be impossible to digest or to make sense of or to live with. It could drive you absolutely nuts. Yeah. And that's where he was, you know, at a super young age. And he was just on another level of awareness, but to the point where it was, he was too sensitive. He was too empathetic within himself to tolerate all of that. So he just combusted. I was going to say, was there, was, there some, was there some destructive side of that through immaturity and inability to understand what was going on? Like, much was made of um, the SNL performance and mm. you guys were always physical, but there's that moment at the end of the first song where it looks to me like you're definitely literally kicking him up the ass. Mm. And I sort of wonder whether or not, and you wrote a bit about that in the book, whether it was just, you know, that was kind of, I guess, step one in understanding how to process that and how to deal with other human beings in that environment. Yeah, we were both quite foolish at that stage. You know, we talked about it earlier. You know, I wanted things the way I wanted it, and he wanted it the way he wanted it. And he may have been more evolved in some ways and, and less in others, but he disappeared, and somehow we did survive yeah. and um, had this very interesting era with Dave Navarro. And John went down as far as he could. And then, you know, just the whisper of a ghost saying, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gone yet. And we're like, okay, let's do this. Um, Californication, by the way, Stadium Arcadium. And then he did make a holistic decision. He's like, it's not for me. It's too much, too much attention, too much travel, too much chaos, too much... Energy, all of it. All of it. And so he, he walked away. And, and I think he needed a, a solid 12 years of processing all of that, which he was kind of willing to do um, slowly. Like, who are these people? What do they mean to me? What have we done together? Yeah. You know, what do I really, what life do I want to live? Smart, really. I mean, to have the presence of mind to kind of realize that life is more than the sum of this, these parts and the sum of all this and, yeah. you know. Yeah, super smart and... I think he figured out that as as difficult as that situation could be, it's like, it's just life and yeah. it's just an opportunity and it's just being in a band and maybe I can find a, a better way to do this where I don't take things too personally yeah. and I still get to make beautiful music with my friends and maybe not melt down or maybe they won't melt down or maybe we're older and different and... and um, you know, enter Unlimited Love, which was really a, a fun and wild experience. It sounds so fun. It's so light on its feet. It's crazy. I mean, <laughs> apart from the two or three moments when I really feel like you're really pulling and, and in a very sort of beautiful and gifting way, like I'm not dressing this up, not the one. I'm not dressing this up, Tanjalo. Like I'm getting into my zone. But there's so much lightness. Like, you know, aquatic mouth dance mm. it's just i mean that literally could be you guys in the late 80s just around it, you know it, it, it is us in the late 80s just around yeah so when when he came back you know he had the good sense to not want to pick up where we had left off when when he walked away from tour in his holistic way and he didn't want to recreate what we had done in the past and and he didn't want to have that expectation or the weight of like, oh, we have to go write a yeah. a popular rock song. 
He was like, what if we just play a bunch of old blues songs, you know, from the 50s, and, and maybe some songs off the first three records? Because he was rediscovering the guitar as well, right? He hadn't been playing a huge amount, at least. Not a huge amount, but he came in, I feel like he had been playing for at least a year. Right. Which, for him, is a short amount of time. This is the crazy thing that blows my mind about John, though, is that he's, he follows the wind, right? He listens for the signs, and he's so connected, <laughs> and yet somehow... He's been practicing in anticipation of this thing in some weird way Just in case. Just in case. Just in case. But also, all of the practice that he did with electronic music and with machines, Mm -hmm. and it's still music, and Mm -hmm. and, and it was still him being in the process of creation, and and all of that is valuable, you know, because he found new, new dimensions, and... But then there's him playing guitar also. Like a bass. Which is a... And, and unique and thoughtful yeah. and I feel like in the human genome, like there's this thing where, you know, we're lucky if we get that, that empathy gene because that sort of makes us balanced and I can feel your pain a little bit, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And I think John just got like 18 too em- much. empathy genes. Yeah. And so he feels... An HSP. What is that? Highly sensitive person. Yeah. Which can be the best thing in the world because, you know, if, if I'm troubled and I have like an idea in my mind, like, ah, this is, there's something wrong here. He will just look at me from across the room and say, something's wrong. You're, 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 what are you troubled by? And I'm like, excuse me? So he is that guy. And, and sometimes it's the most beautiful thing in the world because he's like, come with me. Let's, let's make this together. Like, tell me what you're feeling and I'll play Help these. Help through it. Yeah. And other times it's just... Maybe a... Well, he doesn't have an outlet that's big enough for what he's feeling, right? He's got to have the outlet. That's or, the thing. Or the, the meditation or whatever it is. Thank God he, he came back because I, I think if, as we start to understand what that word means, what empathy truly means, which is this, a hallmark of an emotionally intelligent world, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I really hope, you talk about being the eternal optimist, like it's too much for me to focus on the micro, so my macro hope is that emotional intelligence is the next <laughs> fundamental era for our species, right? Yeah. As on, a, on a main level. If we go there, then we have to understand, my point being that a highly insensitive person, unless they have an outlet or people who understand that, they, they look for other ways. They try and dull it. Right. And that's drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. You know, distraction by destruction. Mm. Yeah, I think there's hope for us. Me too. O- only because... We've we've been down similar roads before. Yeah, you know it's always changing because of technology and just time. Yeah. You know the sort of amassing of issues, but we've never been out before under devastating circumstances. So <laughs> this is just getting back to what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all. F-ing or whatever the tune is called. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are, but... Haven't we always been is why I think... We've always been. We've always been a little bit because we're people. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes me to a song like Tangelo, which is, for me, kind of quite a a strong... um, you open the door to your spiritual side quite quite openly on that song for me at least. I, I love that song. I love the I love the where you invoke the smell of things and you, it leads you to a place of prayer. You know, ultimate meditation at the end of the album. It's just a lovely way to sign off. Mm. Um, you've been you've been searching for a long time. 
for different things. Yeah, whether I want to or not, that does seem to be the case. And I haven't found anything yet, but... You've found a whole <laughs> lot of sh but there's no result. There's no end here, which is the point. Yeah, there's no end. And, and it's never a conscious choice, like, hmm, I better go mm. on a little mission today. Mm. It's just what happens, you know, and it's what's happening today. And mm. it's what's going to happen when we're done talking. I have to start a new search and go hang out with the boys and see how that goes. Uh, my son has two friends coming over for a sleepover, and that will be a search. Yeah. Dealing with that. Have you, go, have you gone down that road? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're responsible for the lives of these young people. Yeah, you are. And uh, at, a <laughs> at a time when all the things that we were warned against have somehow been pres presented in, in, a, in, a, in a nice, neatly packaged, friendly, and in some cases, legal way. Mm. And so you're just like, oh, I used to have to sneak around mm. behind my parents' back mm. to do that shit. It's like now it's all just right there, like on billboards all up and down Sunset, like it's advertising yes. cereal boxes. It is. It'll, it'll be the prize in the cereal box. Very, very <laughs> it literally will be. It will be. You know, being becoming, becoming a dad, and, and um, for me at least, it brought a lot of things to the surface initially that were tough for me to deal with. But then what it did was it, it ultimately led me to a place of peace in terms of the disconnection between my parents and me. And I wonder sort of in the, in the, in the, later years of your dad's life who's become who was such a prominent person in your life and was you wrote so beautifully about in your book and it's clearly someone that you know you love dearly and my mum is in uh, the later stages of dementia and so I'm, in, I'm dealing with all of that and I sort of wonder kind of how um how you were able to build a bridge between being a son and becoming a father well this one day at a time my god um I never write these lessons down, and I always forget these lessons, but sometimes they do present themselves. Um, first of all, I, my love to your mom. That's, that's a very challenging few years, but I can tell you that when my dad died, it was a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I was so happy for him, mm -hmm. you know, to be resolved and somewhat realized and then just out of any suffering. I pray for that, for sure. Yeah. And then I wasn't heartbroken, you know, with his passing. But as time went by, I was like, I wish I could call my dad and tell him that this is happening or that John's back in the band or that his grandson is playing basketball or, you know, all that stuff. And then I ride into town to uh, go to band practice and I, and I pass the locations that he had introduced me to. And... The memories come back. I'm like, God, my dad really did introduce me to a lot of cool things. As destructive as he was and cavalier as he was, he, he was also constantly feeding me um, experience and ideas and exposure to different interesting elements of life. So I want to do the same for my son. Yeah. You know, I want to introduce him to cool things. But... It's a different era. It's a different era. It's and a different era. You go through that, so the and you come out the other side. It's you can't not have a plate of armor you want to put on your kids to some. You can't not. I do, and, and you so, know, I was I was all about doing everything way too young. When I was a kid, like I just couldn't wait to hurt myself and destroy myself and numb myself and do things that I wasn't emotionally prepared for at all. 
And I'm always talking to my son, like, yeah, you can, you can try everything you want to try, but could you wait until you're 18? Yeah. Because right now your, your little soul and brain and yeah. everything are just, they need to be clean and yeah. growing and, and unencumbered by... Yeah. Absorb the joy and the purity first and figure out what you want to replace that shit with later. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's the, what I'm trying to... But has he read your book? No. Isn't that but, kind of but, crazy? I don't think I've ever asked a dad. That's a crazy thing. I don't think I've ever asked anybody I've spoken to who's written a book, whether their kid who's old enough to read the book has read the book. So first of all, kids don't read books today. <laughs> That's true. That's um, depressingly true. But he has asked me, he's like, you know, what's in the book? And well, what if I read the book? And I'm like, you cannot read the book. Nobody in my family <laughs> is allowed to read the book. He's leverage. This kid is smart. <laughs> he's like, well, I heard that you said in your book, you know, but... <laughs> So I think quietly he actually already knows yeah. everything. He's just playing his cards. Yeah. What's well, called to the, the internet, desk. and even more than that, it's called friends. Because if the internet yes. doesn't tell him, his friends are going to. Or the tell friend's him. mom. Yeah, my friend's mom said that you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved your. I loved your dad's <laughs> book. It was great. That moment when he talked about like shooting up under this. Like, yeah. Oh my god. You yeah. Know? Oh, God help him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either God will or you will. The way he's covered. He's he's getting a lot of love. And he's a good boy. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. What a crazy ride, huh? I mean, and yet you still get to announce these stadiums and come back and go, hey, remember that? That's what we do. And, and you know, when you, when you think about going out and playing in front of these crowds, which, and I'm being flippant, not you, because I know you would never, ever assume this, this thought. But when I've seen you 40 times, 30 of which have been in front of 40,000 people or more, I just become accustomed to that experience. That's what a Chili Peppers show is. It's a massive crowd and a massive sound, massive energy and a massive day. And I wonder when you walk away, like we all had to walk away for a few years, and you always take time, but it's different between you taking time and being given the time. When you put those dates on and you think like, is this like, what is this life that I am going back to? And whether it kind of made a break for you in a strange way. I try not to think about it. Um, How does that I, work? I, I, is that hard? No, because the day is full, and, and my job right now is to get better at what I'm doing, and as a band, get better at what we're doing, because we did take some time off, and playing live is very different than recording. Yeah. So you have to build the endurance and the ability to go song to song to song to song to song, and remember all these changes and parts and lyrics and and what everyone is doing. and. Yeah. And, and then it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, it's a little bit out of my hands. I'll do my best to make it all fun and interesting. And, and the rest is, is up to a lot of other people, including the audience. You know, you talk about 40,000 people. So that sounds like festivals, which to me is a magic carpet ride mm. because there's less pressure. It's not, people aren't coming to see one band. They're coming to see five bands or eight bands. But you're so, the last band. Yeah, so, yeah, that is our job to deliver the, the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a level of fulfillment and experience that's, like, slowly building throughout the day, which really does take the pressure off. Like, we're just part of a, an ensemble package. But a stadium show is, like, we have to bring the goods because people are putting in their, their time and their energy, and, you know, it's not easy getting into the show these days, and... I think it will be fun. I, you know, John is is certainly like 
Is he rev- dr- is he revved up? Uh, we're just working on getting it right right now. Because yeah, because to me, part of if I was to be really kind of basic about this, I, I always feel like there's a considerable amount of touring and movement and travel and excitement and success and crowds and screaming, and then John goes, "Oh, I need to walk away for a minute." Uh, and now you're going to go out straight into stadiums, and it's like <laughs> you know. Yeah, he has a he has a an approach. I think he knows that this is the wild and crazy world of rock and roll and that it comes with a little bit of chaos, a little bit of tomfoolery, a little bit of insanity. And Mm. I think he's kind of emotionally prepared in a different way. But we'll see. Mm. Yeah, I I, I think he's he's got some, some levity going on inside of him where he knows that the most absurd things you could ever imagine will happen. Yeah. And he's going to have to yeah. deal with that. Roll with it. But, you know, a Chili Pepper show is also in a laundromat. And it's also in a parking lot. And it's also at a picnic table. It's like, that's not the only thing that we do. Mm. You know, we if we got a call to, you know, go to an elementary school and play in the quad, we'd be quite comfortable with that. But we'd also take it very seriously in, yeah. in a way like we got to go bring our best to this elementary school yeah so because we started you know playing tiny little basement venues with a lot of rat piss in the ceiling it still feels correct to us when we show up at those mm-hmm. places as well as a stadium or a festival or or something in between it's all good you know, Flea talks about the language, the musical language that each of you has as a band and that John makes that complete. But it's it's somewhat different for you because to your point, you your job is to absorb that language and then translate it into something that we can understand lyrically. But what do you, what's the, can you sort of try to describe what it's like when you see them communicating? Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of the closest thing to being a witness to it, you know? So, I, it happens all the time, and it and it's still a joy. It happened yesterday. Um, you know, first it was Flea and Chad were striking a groove together, and John was still messing with his tone. But then, as soon as he found the right tone, I could tell that that he was listening to what those guys were doing, and it and it all starts with listening, because if you're trapped in your head or you're just thinking of hey, what can I do, mm, it just doesn't it doesn't gel. It doesn't groove. But the minute you listen and you're like, what, what, what sound are they making? What energy are they evoking? It's very easy to join. So John listens, you know, he starts by listening and then he starts playing and what he plays makes sense. And I can either just be an observer and listen and enjoy or sometimes take a moment to hear what they're doing and, and add another layer to what they're doing. And, and both are equally as satisfying. I love yeah. improvising with them. It's really, there's a, a moment that's like, oh, that was pretty cool. Or sometimes just listening. Like, I'll sit there and organize what songs we're going to play for the day while I sort of absorb what they're doing. Mm. It's, it's really fun. It's really fun to see how effortless it can be because they listen. They're good listeners. Like, Rick Rubin is a good listener. Like, mm. you're a good listener. It's, it's a lost art, but when people have it, when they're built of listening... Goes all right. You know, Rick talked about the emotion of hearing you again as a, as a band, and I'd imagine that was compounded by the fact that he wasn't on the last ride on the getaway. He wasn't mm-hmm. along for the ride on that one. Um, 
he is to me uh, the living fifth member of this band and that he spent the most amount of time with you than anybody else. Other players have come and gone. Rick's been there the whole time pretty much except for that record. So, you know, what, what is it that you've really learned about him as a collaborator being probably the band that's been the most consistent creative collaborator for him? Mm. Learned about Rick is that he is in a constant state of change. Like, he's still Rick, he's always going to be Rick, but he is that guy who does not arrive somewhere and say, oh, I'll just be this guy for the rest of my life. He arrives someplace, he digs in, he's that guy for a while, but then two years later, he's discovering something new about life, about himself, about mm. how he can approach his job, which is his life and he loves very much. Not to over-harp on the listening thing, but he is the end-all of listeners, and, and that is what has made him one of the greatest producers of all time in any genre of music, is his ability to hear things, you know. He listens and he, like, he walks away and he, he knows the, the drum pattern. I'm like, how do you know that? Like, he just, he hears it all. And sometimes it would appear like he's doing very little in the studio. That's where the misunderstanding comes from. That, but not for me, because no. I, I know him too Definitely. well, but like, I'll see people look at him like, yeah. shouldn't he be getting to work now? Yeah. Oh, he's there. Yeah. He's there, because he's going into a new place, an abstract place. Uh, what if we tried it completely different? Mm. And then we have to go, whoa, okay. Let's let go of everything that we had in mind and, and try something that we could not have predicted or thought of ourselves. And then there's the day-to-day -day grind with him, which is quite lovely because he is a presence and a, a very calming presence. And a, I, I love him. He's, a, he's such a good friend and, and not in the way that the rest of my friends are, but in, in his own special way. And for this record, we had huge amounts of music and I had huge amount of singing to do and lyrics to write. And he said, let's, let's go to Kauai and do this. I was like, great idea. Mm. And we got on a plane, we landed, and the very next day they locked the island down. Like, nobody could come, nobody could leave. It was six months of being in the land that time forgot. Were you there when he committed the felony of walking on his back on his own? So that was on a previous trip. That was on the previous trip. That was so crazy, like... Yeah. I understand it, but at the same time, it's like... So he... It's a beach. No one's around. It's a beach, no one's around, and he was like literally prescribed walking yeah. by a doctor. Yeah. The doctor said, You're, here's your prescription for medicine, take a walk every day. Yeah. And, and he wanted to do that. He yeah. wanted to like feed his health. Yeah. I wasn't there for that, but that, that, would, that was a bit of a people had lost their way moment. He was gonna get arrested someday. <laughs> It had to happen. People have this image of Rick, like he levitates across the, you know, Santa Monica Mountains, but he's still Long Island Rick. Long Island Rick. He's still Long yes. Island Rick. He'll yeah. still be that guy where you'll talk to him and you'll say something that'll just strike that punk in him and he'll be like, he'll be like, and I think, you know what really pisses me off? And he'll be like, he's still that guy. Yeah. He had to have yeah. a record. Indeed. Long Island Rick. So Kauai and recording vocals and getting into the into the actual subject matter of this record on your own with Rick, not mm. with the band around you, yes. just, just being really present and in your own thoughts. Was it beautiful? Was it tough? Was it all of it? Uh, it was pretty easy. 
it was pretty easy because I had nothing else to do mm. but ride a bike and think about music. And I had all these CDs with unfinished music, unfinished songs, and um, and just the luxury of time that I'd never had before in my mm. life, mm. where it was just wake up, spend three hours writing words, listening to my, my boombox, riding the bike, looking around, you know, listening to the air and, you know, like, oh, I got to go see Rick for the next three hours. And sometimes I would have to take a boat to rehearsal because we had a landslide mm -hmm. on the North Shore and the only way to, to get to where his garage was was by boat. Amazing. Amazing. So it was a blessing and I didn't, I didn't overthink it, but I had... It was, it was a, a well-scripted moment by powers greater than myself. And songs that I thought that I didn't even want to work on, I was like, well, I'm here and I have the time. I may as well at least take a shot at it. And then I would try something and I would call John, really bad reception, and I would say, what do you think about this rhythm for this bass line? He was like, I think you're onto something. I really think you're onto something. Do that. And then that became Poster Child. Which is one of the standout moments on this record. I'm so glad you, you highlighted it for all of us because it is like, it is the Chili Peppers at their just most effortless kind of breezy, they're still saying shit, but it's when you're <laughs> in your zone where it's just like no one can make it glide like that. That's the boys, they glide. No, nah, it's you as well. It's the way you ride over it. It's like you just you've caught that break, that perfect break. I caught a little... I caught the break of being locked down on Kauai. I yeah. Had, yeah. What was the hardest one to do? What was the one that's got onto the record that you found was the toughest one to really wrangle? Wrangle? Well, I didn't think that the music from Poster Child was going to survive because it, he, Flea brought in two painfully funky bass lines on the same day. And they, were, they weren't similar, but the way I was hearing it was like, I have to choose. Mm. You know, I've already got my plates too full. And so I choose the other one which ended up uh, becoming a song called Peace and Love, mm. which is the counterpart to We're All F***ing mm. mm. um, and, and that didn't make the record. So the one that I thought was the superior funk was not the superior funk. And, <laughs> and then it just took me a long time of living with this music, uh, which was Poster Child. Mm before I found my, my place. So that is one that I was surprised came to life. I, I can't say that any of them were really a, a struggle or a battle. One of the ones that really stands out for me is, is um, these are the ways because A, the playing, to your point, the boys just, they could flip the f out on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that they're somewhere else altogether. But, but you stepped in and I felt kind of touched on some things that are quite sort of cerebral and in front of our nose, you know, this idea of um, modern life and especially, and, and I love it when you write about America because I feel like you do so with this romance, but also you, you, there's enough cynicism in there for you to understand his flaws. It was, a, so that's a song that John brought and he sort of brought that arrangement and a version of that melody, which I'm never fortunately able to recreate his melodies mm. perfectly. Like he's just on a different melodic level. So I usually put it through a, a simplification machine and um, 
Again, I didn't overthink it. It was the, the first idea that came to my mind when I heard that arrangement, which is very bombastic and almost like a, a huge classical orchestra, you know, exploding and then going way back It just back keeps there. going. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, it was, it was a reflection on, on life in America, but not a a good or a bad reflection, well, so but yeah, just so like I mean, this is this is this is it. We might be bloated. We might be like overloaded with more than we can handle, and let's just take a step back and and uh, rethink it just a little bit. But it's not a this is wrong and that's right. It's just this this is who we've become. Do yeah. we do we want this? Is, yeah. this? is this what we're looking for? Yeah, it's one of the things I respect about your writing is that you ask us to think about it. You know, and yet I do think of you as a socially conscious band, but never to the point where you've gone like, here's my idea for a, a solution. You know, it's like, well, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's better that we, that we all have a, a moment to consider it for ourselves. It's been a crazy journey, man. I mean, as we sort of near the end of this conversation, which I'm just a little absolutely loved. You know, I always used to be quite intimidated talking with you because I always find that you, I mean, talk about listener, you're a real listener. I mean, you're in the nuance of the questions. Like, trust me, you got to be on your P's and Q's when it comes to interviewing you because if you say one word out of place, I feel like you're like, hmm. And you do this thing as well. You straight face it brilliantly. It's epic. That's my you've, straight face. Now, you've always done it, though. And I remember the first time as a kid I tried to talk to you and I was being all classic, friendly key when you were just like... And you were basically saying to me, is there a question here? <laughs> classic, friendly Kiwi. Well, you know, we don't really come in with questions. We just come in with kindness, you know? Yeah, I miss that place. Yeah, me too. And I miss people, and I miss pe some people who have come and gone, and uh, we talked about survival. And uh, there are very few bands from your era making music, hopefully because they chose not to, tragically because some can no longer do it. And one of the saddest things for me is watching people, what I think, get through the first John phase, or equivalent, mm -hmm. of the madness, find some equilibrium, or at least from the outside looking in, and still not make it. And I just wonder what your thoughts are about this band, and why you think you've been able to weather, it's not like you haven't, it's not like you've been protected. You've, you've been in the typhoon multiple times as a band. What is it that keeps this thing moving forward? Well, longevity is not for it's everybody. It's a mortality question. It? Yeah. It's a mortality question. I don't think everyone should even feel bad about having a particular lifespan as a band. It's, it's some bands were made to have a shorter lifespan. It's not for everyone. And then sometimes it's fun to do it for a while and then go do something else. And I think it's the chemistry. You know, it's, it's really not the individual so much as the, the, the totality. And for whatever reason, there is a, a healthy, competitive, brotherly, fa familial element that keeps us together because we, we have been through so much together and we kind of depend on each other. And then maybe just luck, good luck of the right people having found each other. Um, I, I never feel like I'm quite done with what I want to express or the challenge of expression. And 
I'm very grateful to have the place to express myself and driven and kind of insane and a little bit rabid for, all right, what's next? You know, what, what's next? And the, the cards have played in our favor in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially with John to saying, I, I kind of miss this. Let, let's do it again. I'm like, great. Like, I get a chance to write songs again. So maybe recognizing the blessing just a little bit, not taking it for granted, and then just having the, the group unit as the focal point rather than like, this is about me or this is about that person. It's- yeah, you've, you've really, that's been an incredible dance. I mean, it could have so easily just been about you. At, at, at one point or another, the way that this was mapping out, you could have been the one that kind of got a lot of that attention thrown on you and yet the gang, the group, moves as a whole. The group moves as a whole, and I greatly prefer it like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so much more fun. It's so much more interactive, and one, one ingredient is less interesting than four ingredients to me. Oh, you're a an interesting group of ingredients. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, pleasure. That was fun. Very nice to see you. Thanks for listening to the Zane Lowe interview series. Follow on Apple Podcasts and listen back to a trove of conversations Zane has had with artists like Nick Fleetwood, Earl Sweatshirt, and Adele. And that's just scratching the surface. Take care. 